Hello, I am Justin Baldoni, and welcome to the Man Enough podcast. I'm here with one of my best friends in the world, the very handsome, talented Mr. Jamie Heath. Hey, hey, hey. And thank you for joining us. If you're tuning in for the first time, we are talking about masculinity and undefining what it means to be a man and talking to different people uh, about their journey and trying to learn. And uh, I'm just on this journey to learn, man trying to understand myself and what it means to be a man. And I'm very grateful that you're here with me because you always tell me the truth. Well, you've been, hey man, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm three times in really. Three times in what? We'll talk about that. <laughs> but you mean marriages? Uh, How many kids do you have? 17,000. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got four kids. Yeah, Speaking of someone who I admire, uh, just amazing energy. We have Matthew McConaughey on the show today. Mm. And his book, Green Lights, is so fantastic and poetic and powerful. And he's just so damn confident that I, uh, I'm i nervous talking to him because I, I feel myself like like being like, oh, I get a little smaller. This is coming from you, tall, handsome, Shut up. bodies, muscles. You're like Hercules. Well, and, and you know what? And we, and, you know, I hope we talk about that. Uh, mask, you know, body image and, mm. you know, because you know, this no, is a guy great. that's been shirtless on the beach for, you know, ever. Setting up real quick. What do you hope to get in your conversation with McConaughey? I, I'm curious. I want to learn about parenthood and fatherhood. And he's got such an interesting relationship with success. You know, he turned down like $14 million at one point to stop making rom-coms. And I just, I'm just, I want to learn what he thinks about with success and what it means to be a man. I'm curious what it means to be a man for him, because this is, this is like the dude, a manly man. When we think of masculinity, I think of Matthew McConaughey. Well, let's get Liz in here. And that we'll be right back with Matthew McConaughey. All right. Welcome back to the Man Enough Podcast. I'm Justin Baldoni. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Liz Plank, Hello. author for The Love of Men. And I, I'm i really excited. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I have a man crush mm -hmm. on our next guest. I've been trying to keep it cool. He's been here with us. Uh, and I've been trying to save all the things I want to say to him for this because he's uh, he's a really amazing guy. So I'll let you I'll let you talk about him yes. for a second. Yes, so Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Hey, my man. Academy Award-winning actor and current New York Times best-selling author. I think every time I've checked, Holding he's up green on lights. the list. Holding up the book Green Lights right now. Right. You're not only a father, Matthew, you're a college professor, soccer team owner, and whiskey connoisseur. Is there anything that Matthew McConaughey cannot do? There's a lot more to We're Matthew McConaughey. Um, Working to be a professional whistler. There we go. He's a We've really been, damn good yeah. whistler. He has the unique ability to be able to whistle in the middle of a sentence and keep going whereas i would it would take me matthew how are you brother uh very good very good relatively uh doing very good yeah before we start i got to show you this so my wife was in a movie with you ghost of girlfriends past okay. and i just found this picture of you and her i don't know oh. if you can see this she was like one of your russian girlfriends of your like hundred girlfriends <laughs> so right now justin what are you showing us right I'm now show, so You're i'm showing a picture us. of my wife Pre yes. having met me with this very handsome man. Very handsome man. And I will tell you, the first time I saw that, my first thought went to like, oh my God, did you date Matthew McConaughey? I'm never going to ever, ever live up to that. <laughs> um, she says hi. Uh, but I want to dive in. First question. Has there ever been a time in your life, Matthew, where you didn't feel man enough? Oh, yeah. Let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> You know, let's go back to the sixth grade coming out of puberty and adolescence. I was a late bloomer to being in the locker room with that. You know, I'm I'm just getting peach fuzz over my you know what. And and, and, and half of my, my, my half the football team I'm there with have got full grown beards. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I'm like, oh, geez, you know, been going through rites of passage with my father um, when he when I would come home with a, a, a lie about stealing a pizza. I write about this in the book and him giving me four chances to I tell him that story, by the way, out there. If you ever do do something wrong, like in this case, I stole a pizza and you get home and your father, the first thing he says is, did you pay for that pizza tonight? It means he knows you didn't. All right. <laughs> but I tried to weasel out of it four times. And I remember the distraught look on his face every time I lied about it. Him feeling less and less like a man, a father himself. Like, what have I done wrong? Why can't my son tell me the damn truth? I didn't feel man enough. And he told me after you just told me the truth. Son, hell, I've stole a pizza before, too. Mm. I didn't feel man enough then. And when was the last time that you didn't feel, I didn't man feel man enough? enough? You, I mean, hell, the other night. 
And it was, <laughs> you know, it was a long day and I was bushwhacked and tired and the kids needed something. And it would have been a lot easier to say yes, because if I said no, it meant I had to get up out of bed. I had to explain it. I was going to have to go say, here's, you understand the consequences here. Here's why the answer is no. And I was going to miss out on another hour of sleep. Well, I took the path of least resistance and said yes. Do <laughs> So I could get some sleep. And I remember after saying, I'm like, well, that's not father enough. That's not man enough. I mean, mm. the harder thing to do was to go do what you usually try and do, Matthew, is go handle the no and explain the why so they can understand. That's a hell of a lot harder than just going, yeah, you know, fatigue. I relate to that, man. Like man not feel man enough sometimes. Oh, it sure does. Uh, speaking of man enough, I have to say your audiobook is probably one of the best audiobooks, I think, in the history of audiobooks. And I remember I was driving to my first audiobook session. I, of course, go, oh, okay, you know what? I'm going to listen to Matthew McConaughey's book because it it's been on my list. Everyone was raving about it. And I got so damn insecure <laughs> hearing you read your audiobook effortlessly. So I show up to mine and I like try to bring in some of some Matthew McConaughey energy. Oh. And, and you know, I'm like, no, this is my book. This is I'm, I'm not like I'm reading my audiobook. And it just failed miserably. I'm on day eight or nine. My voice went out after like four mm. hours. I keep redoing things over and over again. How long did it take you to read your audiobook? Uh, I think we did it in just over eight hours. All right, I'm done. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Here's an advantage, though, I've got, Justin. I've told these stories hundreds of times before I ever wrote them down. Yeah. So I've performed the stories, so I know the, the rhythm of the stories. It sounds what it felt like. It sounded like I was listening to you tell a story while you're having a beer, mm. like with a friend, right. which is a really... That's what I was really... going for. That's oh. what I was going oh. for, is, is to, to feel like sitting there hanging out it was perfect. Speaking of masculinity and success, I want to know, how do you describe success? Great question, because I think it's a word that we all need to unpack yeah. and redefine. What's our world tell us is successful now? What gets us a seat at the table? What gets us an attaboy, way to go, girl, a pat on the back? You did it. Money and fame, baby. Yep it don't care how you got it don't want to know about your character don't care how many bridges you burned don't care if you stole lied and cheated to get here you got here come on sit at the table you succeeded yeah that uh, uh that, that, that's not a balanced bank account in, in my opinion mm -hmm. um i do i'm all for money i'm all for things i'm all for filling your bank account I'm not for filling your bank account at the expense of your soul's account. And I think we all know what that is for us. There's a way to fill both those accounts. Um, look, if, if the goal in life, if our pursuit, which is what we tell ourselves, especially capitalist America, especially every advertisement, one of the most toys wins, man. Mm -hmm. More is better. Quantity over quality. If that's if that's the North Star, then we're all going to lose. Yeah, the long game. You can win the short game. Um, but for me, I mean, look, success is this. Um, uh, I've got now my values changed. I'm a father. You're a father. You get kids. Your value changes. You get things in a different order. Yeah. I've got a family. That's those are my my my, my wife, my family. That's non-negotiable. You know, and we as men, as people. Women, men, we look for non-negotiables in our life, and damn it, they're hard to find sometimes. Yeah, because we're stuck in a bunch of negotiables, and so we're kind of like in the gray area of compromise all the time. Well, I can do this, I can do that, so we're in limbo. And then it's like, oh, I can't tell what I'm for. I don't know what I'm against. I'm just kind of for rent everywhere. Well, there's some things in my life that go non-negotiable. I want to live a life. I try to live a life where I don't have to look over my shoulder. Try to live a life where I'm going, okay, by hook or by crook. That's what I did. I did my best at it. I didn't try to, I hurt people. Yes. Not meaning to, I've, I've, I've used my voice in the position of power where I didn't realize that my words were coming at bold print and hurt. People. I was like, Oh, I didn't mean that. But that doesn't you didn't get hurt by it. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize I didn't take the context that you were, you know, listening to my words were coming out louder to you than I was 
than I was meaning them. So I've bogeyed along the way. Um, I've tried to do my best to make amends when I have uh, hurt somebody uh, to either apologize or say that was not my intention. Because I, I do believe we need to give more value to intention than we do sometimes. Um, it's, it's sort of like, God bless the emoji. If we didn't have the emoji, you know, you write something to somebody, you're in a great mood, but they're not. And they receive it. And they're like, oh, man, why is Justin mm. mad at me? You're like, dude, I was laughing. Mm. So we mm. kind of need the wink to let them know just God kidding. God bless the like, emoji. That's a bumper sticker, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Context, you know? Mm. Um, I got a quick question because you said you had some thoughts about in, uh, intention and impact. And I'm curious, I'm curious if you want to go into that a little bit, because, you know, it's something that I've, I've also struggled with as it relates specifically, I write, I have a chapter about privilege, which I recently, in fact, Jamie has really taught me a lot Mm. about privilege because I, I'll just be honest, I was blind to it and have been blind to it. And I have done a lot of racist stuff and said stuff. Um, You know, what are the thoughts around you know, um, impact and intention. Cause I know we've also talked about yeah. that. I know you have thoughts about that, but I'm curious what, what did you mean by that exactly? Well, if somebody says or does something to me, I want to know, and it hurts. I want to know their intention. And when I'm like, when I find out, yeah, that's exactly what I meant. I'm like, okay, well now I know where I stand and I can choose either F you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But many times, and it happens in relationships, my husband and wife, it happens with friends. The person's in a different place that's receiving it than the one that's giving it and vice versa. And the intention may be, no, I, I didn't know how I meant that. Again, we don't get, we, we miss the emoji. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the intention is actually the most important. We can mm. still go back and go, oh, I was ignorant of that at the time. Or, you know, you talk about, oh, that was a privilege that came from a privileged place, but I was still ignorant. Oh, I didn't know how that affected. Okay, please help me. Educate me. Mm-hmm. Give me a chance to grow in this because maybe I didn't understand that. And give me a chance. Let me share with you. Oh, here's what oh here's what that means to me. We all have these different meanings of a lot of words. It's like we all have, you know, our own sort of Webster's Dictionary on many things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I've had awkward relationships with many words in my life. I had an awkward relationship with being out with humility for years. I had an awkward relationship with vulnerability for, for plenty of years. I had an awkward relationship. Those, those, those didn't, I didn't know how to have an identity mm. when I, with my relationship that I had those words before. And now I'm prone to have a new definition. I'm, oh, I understand. But you may have a different definition of those. And so if I'm saying something to you or doing something to you, I'm like, oh, man, where I'm coming from, I'm like, we're just we're just jiving here. I'm just playing. I had no idea that that arrow was stuck. I wasn't even mm-hmm. throwing it as an arrow. It was actually meant as a hug. And that person goes, no, dude, to me, that felt like an arrow. And I'm like, whoa, okay. I've, I've been there many right. times. But what you if know? it's, you know, is intention when you do something wrong and someone is talking about their intention, isn't that a way to justify the behavior as, as opposed to taking responsibility for it, you, you know, like, and I guess if, you know, if we can get into specifics, like as a woman, right? Like, yeah, there have been many interactions with men where the intention was good, but the impact was bad. Yeah. So like, does that then create an issue where it puts the responsibility on the person who's hurt to have to explain and have to educate and have to? Well, I mean, I would say, it's going to take a little work on both parts. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Like, remember earlier I was saying, saying yes. When was I not feel menace? Saying yes to my kids the other night was 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 a lot less work than saying no. Yeah. To sit there and explain and go, hey, that was your intention. Let me tell you how. That's part of the work. Yeah. That we go. Let's engage so we can mm-hmm. rebind us, rebind a social contract here again. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more work to explain how. You came in for the, you thought you were hugging. I thought you were throwing an arrow. Let me tell you how I received that. Mm. That's more work. It's more work than going. It sounds like what Matthew's saying is there's a bit of a scale. Mm -hmm. Like there's almost like a, there's a, there's work that has to be done. So as an example, it's not like, um, you know, I hurt you and then I'm just writing it off as, well, that wasn't my intention because I know being married. And I wasn't making an excuse for the person who maybe thought they were innocent in their intent. I wasn't making yeah. excuses for that. Right. It was a two-way street. I wasn't just saying the person who receives it has to explain, so therefore they do work. No, that then 
means reciprocity of the person who gave the intent. It goes, oh, okay. I never thought of that like that. Mm. Thank I have to get after a new context. I need to rearrange my approach or my intentions because now I know that your definition was different than mine. Okay, now we're now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, I've had some really interesting conversations, especially with women. One of my best friends, actually, who I said something actually recently, and it was taken totally out of context. But I really, really hurt her. Right. And my intention was not that at all. I was like, I was almost confused why she was so hurt. Mm. And my first reaction was like, well, you shouldn't be hurt. Right. But, right. and, and, and that's like, and that's, and I think that's like, that's kind of the masculinity in me that comes mm -hmm. out like, well, no, it's your, you shouldn't be hurt. Mm -hmm. But when she explained to me why that was so wrong with what I said, then it's my responsibility mm -hmm. to take that mm -hmm. and to say, oh shit. Mm -hmm. My, right. my intention might have been good, right? but I really hurt you and I'm sorry. I don't know if that's what it is, like making room for the fact that like, okay, well, if you hurt somebody and your intention is good, well, you still have to do the work. Yeah. You still have to do the work and say, I own it. Right. Shit, right. I, was, I suck. I'm right. sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. And like lay bare my soul mm -hmm. and say, I mm -hmm. was wrong. Mm -hmm. right. I think a lot of people don't do that. I think a lot of people don't do the second part. Right. And to me, that's what's standing in the way of this, you know, when we talk about men and Me Too and redemption, I think so many men could access that redemption if they didn't focus on intention and they focused on impact, right? If we weren't, I think, raised in a society where we feel like we need to constantly defend ourselves, and I think, you know, feeling defensive and feeling like, well, I'm a good person. It's like, no, let's just talk about what you did and then the work starts, right? Like, do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So Matthew, what do you think? Do you think that do you think that there's two parts to that? Like, as men, we need to be better at owning up? Well, I don't think you've got to separate the two. And I think it goes back to what I was saying. The work didn't end there. Now start. Yeah. Now the person who gave it goes, oh, here's what it meant to me. I had no idea. Let mm -hmm. me be enlightened because I had no idea. Right. Now, the other thing with this is why I'm a, a fan about it. I think we need to, it's important to lean into intention is this. I'm not saying that if your intentions were good, you have amnesty. I'm not saying, oh, well, then that's how you meant it. Well, then, okay, cool. Right. But I think it's valuable to get some separation between those who had good intentions and those who didn't. There is a difference between someone who's going like, no, I know exactly what I meant. Mm -hmm. And I did it. Right. That Should that person be, <laughs> be, be in the same, should that person be judged exactly the same when the person goes, what? No, that, that, that nothing. That is, oh, please, please let me know. The second person wants to learn. The first person's like, learn what? I know exactly what I was doing. Well, I wanted to ask and see how you all feel about this. Because this is a big one for me, intentions. Being someone of color, um, there have been plenty of people that have had their intentions have been fine. I use this example. If I, if I reach for this cup of water right here, my intention might be to reach for the cup of water. I might accidentally hit you in the face. Or I might try to hit you in the face. One intention was to not, the other one was to. Either way, you end up with a broken jaw. Yeah. And when that broken jaw keeps happening and the conversation is about intention, mm. rather than, okay, I, I don't care what your intention was anymore. If you keep hitting me, why can, can we start dealing with that? Um, and what I think men get caught up in, or I have get caught up, I have got caught up a lot in through my life, is dealing with that intention. I'm a good person. This cognitive dissonance that I kind of go into, mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. owning it, um, and it all of a sudden becomes about that, rather than okay, forget all that. What matters now is results, mm -hmm. and and how we change that, rather than the focus on intention. Heard, but the person that's going to keep hitting your face is not the one that keeps reaching for the glass of water. The person that's going to keep hitting you in the face is the one that tried to hit you in the face. The one that reached the bat for the water and actually caught you in the face is the one that has a problem with spatial sense. And Agreed. they need to get coordinated. And they're not going to be the repeat offender. I, I have to a little bit disagree with that because in my life and what I see in women's life, um, oftentimes the one that keep hurting me the most, and, and, and the water maybe is a bad analogy, are the ones yeah, who, who didn't necessarily mean to hit me. Well, and because well, they didn't think people. they did, yeah. you're one of those people. I'm one of those people. Yeah. Who was like, oh, I, didn't, I was only reaching for the water. The next time it's, yeah. I was only reaching for that. The next time it was this, because their self-awareness is not there. Mm. So those are the ones that keep hitting. I know to stay away from the guy that's trying to hit me in the face. All right, fine. That one that's calling me out for being a man of color, I know to stay away from you. But when one of my best friends keeps doing it, right? right, Or we but keep doing an, it to but, my sister. But as an example, right? So when I was ignoring or choosing to not see 
how you were being treated differently than me or um you know like the like when we were shopping for the wedding shirt right mm -hmm. like when those types of things happen and the guy comes over to you and asks you know tells you you can't drink the coffee in the store and he doesn't come over to me and i'm like come on dude it's not about race and i say these things that's me hitting you in the face mm -hmm. and it took you a lot of times to get through to me <laughs> it took you a lot of very uncomfortable conversations you know to be like justin you're hurting me mm -hmm. you're hurting me you're hurting me mm -hmm. but matthew i want to look at you and tell you something I think Time to Kill came out way back in the middle of the 90s or something. And you had a line that said, um, now imagine she's white. Yeah. Um, I broke down crying at that moment because what I saw was a white man empathize in a way that I hadn't seen before mm. and acknowledge that we normally don't right. um, do that. It right. was like that character, which was you, was a man that had privilege, and you knew that the only way for um, other people to see it was to imagine that she was white, um, sure. which meant that you had empathy. So that was a big moment for me. I know that wasn't your movie, you didn't write it, but you did it and played it and owned it. Well, I've, I've, heard, I've heard that uh, quite a bit over the years. And I mean, inversely, maybe because of our racial difference, but in this, in simpatico, because of the humans we are, I broke down too. That me imagine, now imagine she's white, that I, that, that my character understood, I had empathy for the other side, understood the other side and inverted it. That sort of imbalance of the way we see things and, and my character having to bring that up to be that, to argue, that broke me down in the moment. I appreciate that, that moment in your life. It's a good example. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hear you. Yeah. You are listening to the Man Enough Podcast. We will be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Man Enough Podcast. It's beautiful to see your success really impact Jamie like that and, and so many other people. You know, you're also, Matthew, one of the few men in the world that has gone through what a lot of women go through all the time, which is people comment on your body a lot. How does that feel? <laughs> Oh, can we talk about body image? Are we talking about body image We're now? Going That's a whole deep chapter. into it. Oh my God. Let's talk about body image, Matthew McConaughey. Body image, get your six pack running around your body. <laughs> I mean, I've done my body up to 220 and down to 130 and had six pack abs and ran shirtless on the beach for two summers in a row and, you know, <laughs> and made sure my shirt was off in every rom-com I was in. Baby. I was like, <laughs> you're, the, you're the shirt off on the beach for rom-com. Got to stay in your lane. Mm. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I've, um, I've personally had my own struggles with body image. And, you know, I grew up a really skinny kid. And, um, you know, looking at, you know, the Stallones of the world and the Van Dams and the Schwarzeneggers and, you know, growing up in the in the 90s and you know thinking that that's what made a man like that's what I had to look like and I was I specifically I was always very insecure about my shoulders I had, you know I was skinny I had narrow shoulders and I used to wear two shirts to make my shoulders look wider and then as I got older you know I, I was on a TV show for years called Jane the Virgin Matthew and I was the shirtless guy and my entire career on TV I've always been the shirtless guy because I was always kind of ripped and stuff and I've noticed when I became a dad and you know started building a company i just was i didn't have the energy i didn't have the energy to keep it up and i was being written in this show like literally like they were writing my six-pack into the dialogue <laughs> and i'm looking at them saying like i don't have one right now um <laughs> right, and, right, right. and i'm just curious matthew you're 51 now you look amazing but is is there a is there a stress is there a stress to maintain do you feel less of a, a less of a man as your body changes or when you don't have that do you feel like you know, if Matthew McConaughey doesn't have a good body, does that is that going to change or affect anything? I mean, you're because not every day you're playing. You know, you're winning an Academy Award for Dallas Buyers Club, where you're 130 pounds, like normal Matthew. Look, you get you you, you get a little older. You're not you're not as worried. I'm not as worried about how I may look as far as like how much energy do I have yeah. now? Mind you, am I human? Do I get in good shape and look in the mirror and be like, all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do I, do I wake up on so many mornings and, go, and look in the mirror and go, geez, buddy, <laughs> I got some work to do here. I kind of really let it, let it, let it go this last couple of hours. You know, so, yeah, I mean, that's for, for me and me, I'm not, I'm not necessarily thinking, oh, 
how's it going to be projected from the outside? I want, I want to be mobile so I can keep playing with my kids much more so than I'm thinking, Oh, I need to look good so I can get a role or someone can judge me as being in shape. Mind you, I got an anatomically kind of lucky though. But did that change? Did that change? Like, was it always about, cause for me at 37 now it is about energy, right? It's about health. It's about feeling good. And earlier for me, it was aesthetics. Earlier, I would go to the gym and I would want to hit a body part. I would want my shoulders to be bigger. I'd want my abs to look a certain way. Um, and now at 37, it's the same thing. It's like, I want to be able to chase my kids. I want to be able to run around. I want to, I want to be able to squat all the way down and move and, and have energy. Was it, right. did that change for you with age? Or It's changed some. Look, I'm still vain enough to go <laughs> in and say, do the curls to the girls. Yeah. yeah. You ever heard that? You ever heard that line? Curls girls. Is it curls for girls or is it curls for boys? I mean, research has showed that most men want to look good for, for other, other men. men over other women, actually, yeah. in terms of like the dominance of what it means and the respect that you get yeah. um, as a yeah, man. It, it doesn't rhyme near as good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, you know, on a deeper level, like, do you think you were doing that for to attract women or do you think you were doing that to attract respect from men? That's a good question. Oh, I was doing it trying to get yeah, women. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, yeah, I mean it was without there's there no deeper to go at that at that age that's at yeah. that age but even yeah. when you're talking about the shift to prioritizing emotional you know how you feel inside right over how you look on the outside that feels like a really cool evolution and and i wonder you know when we're talking about masculinity and again feeling man enough um, should emotional well-being be, and you know, just as important as, or more important than your curls or your biceps? Or yes, absolutely. Yeah. We all know. We all know the guy. Just if you, we we know. I've I know a bunch of them that did a lot better with the girls than I was doing because mm -hmm. they were maybe I was doing it like you know. I, I write about this in I write about a story in my book called the, the Curse of the Red Sports Car. Oh, I love that story. I sports car. When I was a truck, I was a guy who drove a truck. I had a great time. I was Mr. Fun. I would hustle. We're going to the concert. We're going to work our way to the front row. After school, we're going mudding in my truck. I was doing great with the girls. They were all friends. They thought it was funny. We were great. Well, I sell that thing, traded it for a red sports car. Next thing I know, I'm leaning against a red sports car. Like, look at me, ain't I? <laughs> Our red sports car. The girls were like, yeah, you but you're boring now. Yeah. The curl, the curls. You know, at times we're like, well, you're kind of what you want. You want me to go wow and, and like, yeah. like, because you're biceps? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. And then they go on to the the guy who's kind of emotionally cool yeah. and not relying on those exterior things. Uh -huh. You're like, exactly. <laughs> Matthew, I'm curious. So, on that emotional side, you know, a lot of men, I believe, spend more time working you know, on the body image side, on their physical appearance and not as much time working on their hearts. And, and one of the things we talk about in, in my book is the journey from your head to your heart, which is we know is obviously for men a hard journey because we oftentimes get stuck here. And you seem to have a very unique balance. Um, you seem to live out of your heart, but also you don't deny your head and your mind. And I'm just wondering, like, what are your thoughts on on men and emotional strength, the emotional gym, the spiritual gym that I like to call it, because we're so used to going to the gym and like, you know, if I call him one of my buddies, it's like, yeah, let's, let's go, let's go get a workout in. But if I call him one of my buddies and I'm like, Hey, let's go talk. It's a very different thing. We like the pain of the gym, but we don't always respond to the pain of, um, of life. Well, and, and being willing right. to, to take that last rep emotionally to, to dig into our hearts and to say like, mm -hmm. damn, I'm really hurting. I need to talk. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that balance between the physical right. and the emotional. Ideally you got physical, spiritual, mental, often men are just consumed with the physical and don't tend to the emotional or the spiritual enough of who they are and their own masculinity. Now, so when we say well, let's go tend to the emotional and the and the um, um, the spiritual, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean like, well, now forget about the physical side. Of course, balance, and right? Tap into that. You said head and heart. So, mm -hmm. so when we jump over, I don't think we have to cross the bridge and burn it down and say, so now I'm just going to let myself go. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? All those things are 
constantly moving too. I, I've got times where I've been in great physical shape but poor mental shape. I've got time where I've been in great mental shape but poor physical shape, poor, poor yeah. spiritual shape. All three take maintenance if you want to have all three. I actually completely agree. Right now, for me in my life, I, I'm really struggling with the physical. I'm really struggling with a combination of honestly the physical and the spiritual. I feel energy is a little tough. I don't, I don't feel motivated to go to the gym right now. I'm pretty exhausted, right? You talked about fatigue. So if you were to ask me when was the last time you didn't feel man enough, it was gonna, I would say this morning. <laughs> um, and I'm curious, if you, like, what do you do? What, are, what, is, what does Matthew McConaughey do to get out of one of those ruts and into another? For me, it starts with the spiritual health. I can ride good on the reserve tank mentally and physically and out endure a lot of things and pull some things off being at times when I'm somewhat spiritually void. But the landing's hard. Hmm. The landing's kind of vacant. The landing's kind of like, okay, yeah, you did the math, but you got no poetry. You know what I mean? Hmm. So to speak. Um, for me, if I'm spiritually in a good place, I'm not, I'm a, I'm objectifying people in the world much less. I also objectify myself much less. I feel lighter. I have less mental fatigue. I have less physical fatigue. I actually feel lighter. Um, you talked to me earlier. You said you like how I whistle. And when I'm whistling and winking and roll and, and, find, and, and find a rhythm, that's when I'm happiest. That's when I'm more spiritually sound. Because I'm feeling like I'm in tune. I'm seeing music everywhere. I'm seeing beauty everywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm meeting people and I'm, my mind's immediately going to their upside or what is great about them, or what's awesome about them, what's original about them, what's beautiful about them. I'm originally seeing those high sides, not the low sides. I'm seeing the assets, not the debits. Mm. That's why I'm spiritually sound. I, I, that's just my approach seems to fall in line like that. And the two others follow, mental and physical seem to follow. So I, I want to ask you, Matthew, about fatherhood, because something I struggle with, and I, if you notice, I lead with the things I struggle with. Uh, this is therapy for me. It's good. Um, something I struggle with has been how to be in multiple places at one time, especially with the advancement of technology and everyone having access to me on my phones. And, you know, here's my five-year-old and my three-year-old, and I've snapped my finger, and now I can't even believe my son's three, about to yeah. turn, you know, four, and my daughter's five, about to turn six. And and it's going by so fast, and I often find myself mourning it in the present, right? I'm like mourning it. I'm mourning like them growing up, and I feel like I'm missing it. And I oftentimes find myself struggling with like being the provider and and having success and putting food on the table and building my career and making you know more movies and things. And and also like, wow, is it worth it? Like, is it was it worth it for me to write this book in the middle of the pandemic? And 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 miss them like what my son's banging on the door saying daddy daddy and i'm like no because now they just know daddy's working daddy's on the computer daddy's on his phone how have you handled that man because i mean it's it's got to yeah. be even it's got to be even worse for you well all right so i've got a um i got i do have an advantage that i know not everyone can afford to have when camilla and i decided to have children pull the proverbial goalie she came to me, put her hands on my shoulders and said, on one condition, you go, we go. Mm. From that day on for 15 years, they've come to every set with wow. me to every location. Now, bless her. That means it's, you know, she pulls up and pulls things up and says, yep, we're going. When she hears that her man's convicted and has a real reason he wants to go do something, uh, she's like, let's go. And we pull the kids and they go with us. And it's, yep, you may miss your friends, but it's dad or friends. Now, I talked to three different um, successful men in our business who had children who were much older than us. And all three of them said that what they did is they chose to not take their family and they let their children stay with the kid, their friends. And they went away to work. All three said unequivocally, if I could do it again, I'd make sure they came with me. Mm. And a lot of men fall into the very traditionally defined aspects of masculinity where 
There's a breadwinner and a wife or a mother who's taking care of the kids. And Which is the most awesome job in the world. It is. Capitalism is impossible, right, Liz? We talked about this. Capitalism is impossible without the unpaid labor of mothers. Free labor of women. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's one way to do it. Yeah. But there are many other ways to do it, right? There are mommies who go to work and dads who stay at home. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's all just, you know, part of part of parenthood and, and, and having those conversations. I'll say this. And look, there are plenty of times where Camille's got something to do and that's what we're going to do. We're going to all go support her and do what she does. Um, I can hear the conversation that my kids are having and my daughter's having. They're much more evolved in different things. Oh, totally. They would, she would have had when I was growing up. Yeah. yeah. The gender model of, of uh, you know, she's the one that's like, talk about somebody who's ready to get out there and explore in the world mm. and go, she's the one, at, you know, at 10 years old, ready to go to a Swiss board school and have a complete independence. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's awesome just to have that ferocity of independence at that age. Yeah. And it's right on par with, with, with what my boys seem to be experiencing. We were talking about adolescence before. So girls' uh, self-esteem starts plummeting, basically, around the age of 11. Like, because you're right. Boys mm. and girls grow up, you know, I think they don't know what's necessarily expected of them um, in, in the way that we all now know. <laughs> and adolescence is important for every yeah. kid, um, but particularly for girls, to, to, to keep that spirit that you're talking about, right? Like to keep her independent, to keep her confidence. Uh, we're trying to make sure best we can to say that opportunities are out there that they're, that that based on your sex doesn't matter. Yeah, that's one. Again, that's that place where all, I think all of these, whether we're talking about race or sex or what have you, I think that's the North Star where we're talking about getting. Is to the place where you go, yeah, but doing that, I want to do this because I'm because I'm female, and you go, oh, it doesn't matter, mm. or I want to do this because I'm because uh, I'm minority. Oh no, it, it doesn't matter. It didn't even notice that was never part of the measure of what you could or couldn't do of what an opportunity came. That's the place I think we want to get to. Yeah, ultimately, we got a lot of work. Yeah. before we get there. Okay, I just want to ask one more thing because I know that in your journey you had a moment where you and your mom weren't on uh, on the best terms. Yeah. And that had to do with your fame. And you reconciled. And now she's now she's living with you. Yeah. And it's so damn cute to see your wife and her on Instagram together. And we were just talking mm -hmm. earlier about, you know, this this invisible barrier we put up. You know, our parents fed us, our moms breastfed us, our dads changed our diapers. And then there reaches an age where we don't want to be intimate with them anymore. And it's almost like you don't want them to touch you or, you know, you're you know, uh, uh, too, too much of a rub on your back from your mom can just like it, it sends you somewhere. And, you know, and then, of course, you mix fame in and, and you know, your mom um, was very excited about your fame, sometimes even more than, you know, uh, you were. How did you reconcile that? How did you just accept right. her for who she was? Well, a few things. Number one. Uh, we are in our family we we're, we're pretty good at forgiving hmm. meaning in that eight years where my mom and i were estranged because she wanted my fame and a version of it more than i did and i was like let me i'm gonna get my shit straight first and <laughs> like, you you're more of a wild card than me we didn't talk i would still make the sunday call because that was ritual but i didn't share much it was like just it was rote conversation because i did, I, didn't, I was fearful of what i could tell her if i told her something intimate I might read about it the next day or I might show up on hard copy. I tell that story in the book. But at any time during those eight years, if something would happen to mom or mom like needed, it's like not a conversation, not even a thought. You got it. I just dropped everything and gone to her. So I'm letting the reins off. Go, mom. Go. I just let her go. And man, she hit those red carpets <laughs> and told stories on me that I've never told that were out of school. But I was like, go for it, mom. Well, 95% of it, 99% were the best stories. They were great. And it was like, now I can laugh at that. Back then, I would have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't be sharing that. Um, so then let's cut to this. Now, you know, when COVID came along, she was up in a retirement community. We just went and got her. And she's been with us for now almost a year, hmm. every single day. As long as she's got a book to read and a bottle of Kendall Jackson Chardonnay, it's easy. <laughs> okay? But Same. Can I say that? Same. Right? 
Well, there was a third thing that you said, though, about, you know, you said you, we're attached to our parents and then we get to that place where we want to move away. Well, the third act of that is we become the parents to our parents. Yeah. And that acceptance can be awkward because you're like, well, wait a minute. I mean, I'm not ready to be the parent. At that eight years when I was famous, I'm mid-20s. And now I'm having to act like the parent to my mom? Wait a minute. I'm going through trying to figure out what stuff's about. I need my mom on the other end of the phone and she ain't answering. Yeah. But I had to be the parent. Wow. And that's like, like when it first starts, you're like, why are you throwing that responsibility on me? I still need you as a parent. Mm. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a big one. That's something that I, I go to therapy about, mm-hmm. actually. And mm-hmm. well, we're going to have my dad on uh, the show for an episode because um, I talk about my dad in the book. And I relate to that so much, this idea of like, we, like I just want my mom or I just want my dad. I've said that to them a few times. Like, yeah. I just, I don't want to talk about work, but I love yeah. the idea of radical acceptance. It's mm-hmm. like, when I accept them for who they are and don't try to change them, then I can love them mm-hmm. without that icky feeling, mm-hmm. right? Without that, mm-hmm. oh, I don't, you know. And you're okay with yourself. You don't need okay someone else yourself. to do something different so that you feel okay. You know, I watched right? my mom try to change my grandma for, you know, yeah. forever. Yeah. And now I'm like, here I am trying to change yeah. my mom. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm like, wait a second, worst. I'm doing the same damn yes. thing. Oh, but you know what? God bless our efforts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like my, bro- my brothers did it, my dad did it, and I kept telling them, no, I'm the one who can do it. I can change it. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, um, all right. Can we, uh, you mind answering these uh, rapid yeah. fire questions? Quick. Yeah. Welcome to this week's Man Enough Podcast Rapid Fire Questions, presented in partnership with PG, the maker of brands like Tide, Swiffer, Mr. Clean, Pantene, and Brum. All right, Matthew, when was the last time you cried? Last Sunday. Mm, about? Praying, seeing um, the people I love, going through a Rolodex in my mind, picturing them when they're their most true selves. Mm. Um, and it was tears of tears of gratitude, not sadness. Tears of like, wow, how much? You know, praying does that for me. We talked about demarcations earlier. Yeah, praying separates those things. Where I'm like, all of a sudden, I can give see the value in each event or thing I have in my life singularly. Mm-hmm. And when you see them singularly, they 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 mean more than when they're all thrown in the same pot. I feel like one. Yeah, you are a ghost at your funeral. What do you hope is said about you? What do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy? He was at home in the world. Hmm. He didn't half ass it. He was a folk singer. <laughs> Damn, he loved being a dad. He did pretty good. Hmm. He held himself to task and had a pretty good balance of when to let himself off the hook. And I'm glad he enjoyed a beer on the way to the temple. <laughs> <laughs> write that down that was like i mean yeah, that's you that's are a it. poet what's a thing that other people value that you do not something that everyone likes and you're like i don't get it no this is so overrated like karaoke. every <laughs> <laughs> people do value karaoke and, I, and I've never I, valued I, it this too. is your most controversial opinion so far in this interview <laughs> this is gonna get some some headlines i got, I got a lot of haters coming <laughs> <laughs> the karaoke lobby is uh, is a strong one. Um, when was the last time you apologized to someone? Ten days ago. To my to my wife or something. Mm. Where my intent was not received as I intended it to be, and reacting going over the subject. I was blinded by how it, how it, how it landed and was in and had, if I'd have been a little more aware, I would have noticed before and not come back with the last singer. <laughs> yeah. Been there. been there. Been there. All right. Final question. What does it mean to be man enough? You know, I wrote a poem about that. I know you did. Book. I loved it. You know, what I mean by a legacy choice. What are the things we do? That's what I mean by green lights. I'm not talking about battery powered green lights. That's boy stuff. Mm. Man stuff is on the solar powered green lights, the ones that will shine on brighter and longer into the future and after we're gone, hopefully. Mm. So we should all ask ourselves, I mean, what shadow do we want to leave? Is it 
tallest and longest or is it the widest and deepest? Yeah. Thank you to our partners at P&G, the makers of brands like Tide, Swiffer, Mr. Clean, Pantene, and Braun, for helping to make the Men in a Podcast possible and for sponsoring these fun and real moments with our guests. I know we're wrapping up. I just wanted to say it's wonderful to meet you. Thank you for I, I love what you said. Just your whole thing and your whole approach to understanding that the message is more important than the messenger. And because um, yeah. that's really so I hope you've got kids, as you had said, that they are indeed better than you. Um, not to say you're not good, but that they are better than you, that they stand up for all of the things that will make the world better that they will champion women, that they will champion people of color, that they will champion and honor their parents, um, that, you know, uh, they are the best of you. Thanks. And in so doing, we'll understand that they are then championing themselves. Love it. Mm. Matthew McConaughey, you, my friend, are man enough. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Um... Uh, thank you so much for joining us, brother. And thank you for doing so much good with your fame and with your success. I appreciate you. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. Good luck with the book and the show. You know, keep rocking out. Your, your studio looks great. Oh, thank you, Monet. Yeah. Thank you, brother. So nice to meet you. Thank you for giving us so much <laughs> thank time. You. And love to your family yeah. and your wonderful wife and your mom. All right. Y'all be good. All right. All right. Be good, man. my man. Appreciate you. Oh, you're listening to Man Enough. We will be right back with uh, Jamie and Liz and myself to talk about Matthew McConaughey and the wisdom that was dropped. We'll see you in a second. Welcome back to the Man Enough podcast. I'm Justin Baldoni. I'm here with the wonderful Liz Plank and Jamie Heath. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Yo. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. That's the guy... I wanted to be in high school. Mm. Like when I was 22 or 23, I bought a 1976 Ford Bronco. I bought a truck. And I bought that truck because the guys in high school that I wanted to be had that truck. The guys mm. that like drove the girls around and like were smooth and, and you know, went mudding. And, and here I was in LA. I bought a truck. Knew nothing about trucks. And t- it's so funny talking to him. He's so confident and assured yeah. and mm. like... Matthew McConaughey and I and I just was like there's a there's absolutely a part of me that's like man I wish I was like that I thought that too you I, wa- I want to be a confident white man I want to be <laughs> I want to I have the just... confidence <laughs> I want to have that like um yeah my body looks a little bit schlubby today eh. oh my body <laughs> looks good today and it's like the way that he described it as if it doesn't really affect who he is right it's like it's not like oh i feel shitty today or i look great today i'm gonna feel better about myself i'm still matthew mcconaughey mm. that's one of my favorite things you've ever you said know? <laughs> oh, i'm gonna you, try you want to capture that energy so um here we are now kind of recapping this interview that we had yeah. with matthew mm. and um i'm curious as a listener and watching you in this conversation you particularly liz how did you feel it went what what stood out for you or what was lacking mm-hmm. or what were your feelings about? Yeah, I mean, I, I loved our conversation about intentions and, and, and whether intentions mm, matter yeah. when you apologize, right? Yeah. And we, I don't think, arrived at a place where we necessarily agreed. I mean, I'm curious what you think, actually. I think talking about intention when you apologize, I, I don't give a shit. I don't know. I don't care why <laughs> you knocked over the glass. I'm full of water and 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 I need to now clean myself up. Um, so if you're talking about the fact that like maybe later, maybe once you've apologized and like later, actually I didn't really didn't do that on purpose. I'd be like, all right. But to me, intention is justification. We hide behind it a lot. Right. Mm. Um, and and I think moreover, making a difference between good intentions and bad intentions and somehow elevating people who have good intentions, but do bad things. Mm. You still did a bad thing, right? You still did the racist thing. You still did the sexist thing or whatever, right? It it goes beyond that. And that to me is the good white liberal, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm a good, I'm not the KKK. I I didn't go out and I did. Well, that's the good, bad binary. Exactly. And we have that with men, the good guy. I'm, I'm a good guy. I don't do, I didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable. I didn't want to, um, you know, cross your boundary. I don't write that cognitive dissonance. And I'm telling you as a woman, 
the good guys are almost worse yeah. than the actual bad guys because bad guys are real about being bad guys like oh yeah i know you're bad uh, so so here's so here's a question so i'm curious the good white liberal right so you as a very strong feminist woman <laughs> probably attract uh or have attracted mm. feminist men curious like in this like this this liberal feminist male woke world have you experienced like uh a lot of those guys yeah. who are like no but i'm a feminist of course. of course wait of course i didn't of course i wasn't sexist of i'm course. a feminist versus you... versus saying like oh my god i'm so sorry i didn't mean to mm -hmm. say that what was i thinking well do you, do you want to this is the only way for me to put it the man who physically and emotionally abused me mm -hmm. wore this is what a feminist looks like t-shirt that was wore what uh, oh. this is what a feminist looks like t-shirt i'm never ever wearing right? shirt. i'm never so, wearing my sh that shirt again it's <laughs> it's ruined it that it's ruined right. that shirt right but Again, he, he thought he was a good guy. So that actually, I think, prevented him from being able to be like, wait a minute. It's like we've talked about before, where you think that emotional or physical abuse looks like lo looks like what you see in the movies. And so you don't see the ways that you're maybe perpetuating it in a different kind of way. Mm. So, so I think, I, I don't know, for me as a white person, the best thing I ever did was admit that I'm racist because I grew up in a racist society, right? I'm with you. Like, I'm with you. I'm, I'm if if I come into conversations around race saying talking about my intentions, my good intentions. I don't know. Do you give a shit, Jamie? Like, <laughs> well, I, I can answer that for him. Hold on, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> like, he does not give a shit because yeah. I have been racist yeah. with Jamie and also been very defensive about that. So Jamie does not give a shit yeah. what my intentions were. His, it's his, annoying. He's like, I'm sitting here bleeding, and yeah, and you're telling cares? me you're a good person. It's like, and it's again, it's centering yourself. I think, so, I think he's great. How can you not yes. love him, Matthew? This, I'm, and I'm taking this on, a, I'm, I'm assigning no, no. intentions to him, I by the way. Are. I know and, you are. and this is a separate, you know, no, no, I it's think not he's anything great. about him. And but. yet, not and yet, period. Um, that is most of my experience, and I imagine most women's experience, is good people, wonderful good people, who are um, unaware of how they cut people. I don't mean him. Yeah. But like the good guys, as you had said. Um, and the the women that I have hurt the most in my life are those closest to me. Yeah. It's not your random people. No, it's always the it's people the, that you're the closest you know, and, to. And, and I will, like my son, you ask my son, what's the most important thing in your life? What do I expect most of you? What's the one way that I will lose my shit over? If you ask him, my honest to God, his answer will be, if I mistreat a woman. That's it. He knows that's the thing. That's the thing that makes me the least, um, the most upset or the least proud of you. That you, there's nothing worse. And yet, I believe that, and I've hurt women. Not physically abused them, yeah, but have disrespected and regarded and cheated and ruined my life because of it, and ruined my wife's life because of it, my ex-wife, and and yet he has seen this in the very thing that I preach. So. My intention is to be good. Who cares? <laughs> if my actions are continuing to do these things, then um, what am I raising? Yeah. What are we emulating, right? Yeah. So, or not what we what are we giving our children to emulate? So what I hear when I hear white men talk about, I, I would love to just not have to really look over my shoulder. One of his answers, which was great, mm -hmm. was he hopes that he, you know, he doesn't want to live life looking over his shoulder. That's wonderful. It's so sweet that he gets to do that. And you get to do that. She doesn't mm -hmm. get to do that. There's not a woman who's gonna walk at nighttime from this office to their car without looking over their shoulder. There's not a black person in the world that doesn't not look over their shoulder. Mm. Um, so I don't know how this relates to the topic other than um, there's a lot left unsaid for me. Not with him, just with success. What yeah. it means. Mm -hmm. mm. It's it's so interesting being a straight white man sitting next to both of you because so much of so much of Matthew I identify with because Matthew mm -hmm. is very much who I have wanted to be for so long, right? Um and I hear and I totally hear what you're what you're both saying. Cause I myself, like, you know, I oftentimes feel like, Hey, but I didn't mean it that way. Like, 
I should be forgiven, mm. right? But I guess that is an element of privilege. Mm. Like, but I didn't mean it that way. I, how many times have I said? I mean, how many times have we said that? Like your white friends, right? Which you are very, very, very graceful with. You know, um, we've had these conversations, and you know, I didn't, I didn't mean it that way. And so it begs the question, like, you know, intention versus impact. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there is some, you know, we live in a world where I think eventually we're going to have to find. Um, which I think is what he was alluding to, um, uh, an element of forgiveness when somebody does something wrong, so long as they're willing to apologize and then take the necessary steps to correct it and apologize, and not just apologize, but through their actions, redeem themselves and make someone mm -hmm. feel better. Yeah. And, and, and that I think is the missing ingredient in all mm -hmm. of it, right? Mm -hmm. Because, because um, you can wear a, a woke, you know, this is what a feminist looks like shirt and then clearly be abusive to you. But if my intention was like, wow, I didn't mean to hurt you, but I did, then I have to really look at myself and go, what yeah. am I missing? Mm. Where did I go wrong? Mm. And let me sit with myself for a second and then let me come back to you. And if I can come back to you and say, hey, I might've said this, mm. this might've been my intention, but man, this is really where it was coming from. And I'm so sorry. And if I do it again, please call me out on it. And if I don't, and I might not get it right the next time, but I'm going to keep trying. Yeah. yeah. That's, that is the area where I can see there being space for right. intention. So long, you, so long as you're willing to recognize it and do the work, apologize, and then try to correct it. And one of the things that I've learned luckily from my wife and from you, Jamie, is I've, I've, I've had an extreme amount of graciousness and forgiveness with the people in my life because Jamie should have given up on me a long time ago. You know, I'm so lucky that my wife is still with me because I've said so many stupid things and done so many, you know, ridiculous things and said hurtful things despite having good intentions. But I will say that I do try hard to do that work and you do. and to say, mm -hmm. and to say, and, and when I miss it and I miss it a lot, mm -hmm. like shit, I missed it. And, and even when that, that, that part mm -hmm. comes up in me as a man, which is a part of masculinity that says like, oh, well, you don't need to listen to feedback and you get your, your chest pops out and you get a little defensive yeah. and you're like, no. Right. But no, but you're misinterpreting what I'm, what I've said, mm -hmm. or right. mm -hmm. that part of me is the thing that I need to try to calm down. And that's what I know I work on in my life is, is, is like taking the socialization mm -hmm. of, of what I've been taught I need to respond to as a man and the shutting the fuck up Yeah. so that I can actually hear what you're trying to say. That I can hear what my black friend is trying to say when, when I say something that's racist or when I, when I miss something or what my wife is mm -hmm. trying to say or what a woman's trying to say when I mm -hmm. accidentally speak over mm -hmm. her. Um, in the Baha'i faith, we're told that you can't you can't have um, faith without two elements, conscious knowledge and then the practice of good deeds. You're either having blind faith by just like knowing something or you're just doing something without having faith mm -hmm. and you need them two together. And I think the same thing goes with intention mm -hmm. and um, with impact. You can apologize, but if you're not doing anything, yeah. if you're not going to work towards it, then it means nothing. Yeah. And the gap between your intentions and your impact is not the other person's job to figure out. It is your job to figure out right? It is yeah. your work. It's my work. And so I agree with Matthew McConaughey. Intentions are important. They're, they're important for your inner work, not for the person who's been hurt. That's not, yeah. there's not that, that, you know, that intention and, and figuring out that difference, that contrast, that's where your work starts. Yeah. Mm, love that. Very true. I, I deeply appreciate you both. I'm oh. learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> and and honestly, I and I learned so much from him. Yeah. He's got like he's got, a he's got such say. a beautiful yeah. aura and like he does. And mm. he and I love how he just loves life. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that that I know I want to work on is like you can tell like he's somebody that gets up and tries. Like mm. you can tell he prays. He has a relationship with his spirit and with his heart. And I love that about him. And it's infectious. And I think it's one of the reasons why we like watching him so yeah. much because he very he like flows right through life. And that's yeah. something that I know. I want to adapt more yeah. to, and I want to be more like. Yeah. Well, let me give you both permission to do something. There are some thoughts, Liz, that I know that you don't may not agree with. Okay, so know that I got your back. Challenge <laughs> these people. Ditto. Okay, challenge these people. If I, it's always done with love, mm -hmm. because I need someone to challenge me when I'm like, if I'm saying something I really believe it, I may not disagree with you, mm -hmm. but at least it's there, and I'll think about it later. Mm -hmm. I have time to reflect on it maybe when I'm not mm -hmm. being filmed or something. Mm -hmm. So um, please challenge. And Justin, 
you have a thing where you like to be liked. You like to be liked. It's one of the wonderful things about you. It's also the thing that I have and we all have. And in your effort to be liked, you may not um, disagree with someone when they're sharing something because you, you, you're, you want to be on the team, which is wonderful about your book because you're writing a book not caring about being liked so much. It's like I'm putting it out there. So that means when you talk to people too, I'm not saying you're not doing it. I'm just reminding you that we need you to do that, right? Um, that's what I got, man. I don't know what else I got. Jamie I, Heath. With the real talk. Jamie want, Heath. This, this is free therapy. Wow. Yeah. We should be paying Jamie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody needs Jamie. Yeah. Oh, come Everybody on. Everybody needs Jamie. Uh, thank you all so much for listening this is so to this good. episode of Man thank Enough. You. I am Justin Baldoni. I am Liz Plank. And I am Jamie Heath. Uh, if you are digging the conversation and you like hanging out with us, uh, please like and subscribe. And thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble in partnership with Cadence 13 and Odyssey Company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Malhotra-Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Carrie Rathode from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Annabella Casanova, Mateen McCullough, and Sage Price are our producers. Maria Fernandez and Nicole Pritchard are our consulting producers. Josh Snyder is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.